Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, here we go. Yet another episode of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and every young TV writer has a dream, right? I mean, he writes the great American pilot. A producer sees it, loves it, buys it, and it becomes a series starring big-name actors, and he becomes the showrunner. Well, it's a fantasy, right? It's a pipe dream. It could never happen. Well, take heart, young writers, because it can and it did to Dan Erickson, who is the creator and showrunner of Severance on Apple Plus. And while he was writing his spec script that made all of this happen, he was working for Postmates. (laughs) Okay, so what's the whole story? Well, our guest is Dan Erickson, and he will lay out the whole thing. A quick note before we start. This was recorded on Zoom, and there's a couple of places that are a little funky, but basically it's fine, okay? So here we go. Dan Erickson, this week on Hollywood and Levine. So let's start at the beginning. You come up with this idea that is eventually severance. When was this and how did you come up with this very novel idea? Well, well, thank you so much for for saying that, first of all. Um, It was, it, it really was kind of a slow, gradual process this idea that that sort of uh, brought this idea into existence um i had written a play when i was an undergrad at, at western washington university and that show um it, it was a, a stage play with four actors and and had not the same story but but i would say a lot of the same dna as as what you see in the show it was set in an office and stuff like that um and, and, and it was a separate concept, different, different thing, but it was very, um, I, I don't know. It was a story that never quite left me. It was kind of a world that never quite left me. And I, I always thought about sort of revisiting, uh, a lot of those themes that were explored there in some other form. So, so that was, I mean, that was back in like 2000, 2006, I want to say 2007. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I ended up, uh, I went to grad school at NYU, left grad school, came to LA and had been working kind of a string of office jobs that I didn't really like this, this one place in particular. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to dis- besmirch the good name of this, of, of this place. 
Um, there were really, really good people working there, but it was a, it was a, a company that sort of makes and manufactures doors. And I was working in this little windowless office and I was sort of cat- cataloging these different door parts and, and doing these other just really kind of strange sundry uh, uh, tasks and I just, you know, again, I was grateful to be working anywhere at the time, but I was, I, it was not what I wanted to be doing. You and got this was, through NYU, right? Your degree at NYU. Yeah, no, I was just, able to land you that job. I'm I sure. had just finished NYU. I came out with the, you know, stars in my eyes out to, out to the city of angels and, and was able to, yeah, get this sort of Craigslist job at, at this uh, windowless door factory. I call it a door factory. It wasn't really a factory, but but it's, it sounds better to call it a door factory. But uh, anyway, it was uh, so I was walking into work one day and, and just sort of had this thought, which is like, oh, God, if only I could just jump ahead and it was suddenly 5 p.m. and I could just be going home like I would totally do that right now. And, and you know, pause and was like, that's a, that's a messed up thing to wish for that, that, you, you know, this idea <laughs> that I want to be able to skip, you know, what some of this precious time we have on earth, you know, the next eight hours, I just don't even want it. I want to give it back. So, so that was sort of, you, you know, over the course of that day, I was like, oh, maybe there's a story there. Like, cause I feel like a lot of people would, would do something like that at certain jobs if they could. And, and, um, you know, that's kind of a terrifying idea. So, uh, wrote the pilot over the next year or so. Just, just uh, I was working with my manager Ben Blake, and then uh, ended up uh, taking it to a couple different places. Um, uh, it, it got looked at, got sort of passed around town. Um, it started much more uh, surreal, I will say. Like the like the script was, I think, in one of the first versions of it. There's like there was a pair of disembodied legs that runs by in the background. And, and so it was like, we were doing a much more kind of Terry Gilliam Brazil thing in those first few drafts. And then it sort of over time became more of a, it was like, no, I think there's a more grounded story here. Um, It got put on this publication, the blood list, which is sort of a, a horror sci-fi genre take on, on the blacklist of unproduced uh, scripts that people like, but no one has done. And, uh, and sort of through that, it got the interest of Jack Cohn at Red Hour and ultimately, uh, you know, Ben Stiller, who, who read it and was like, yeah, I think this, I think we could actually do this. Okay. So how many drafts had you written before you had the draft that Ben Stiller actually read? It was, it was a lot. I will say it was, it, I mean, it's kind of hard to define cause it was like two or three years of just constantly working on it and sort of updating little elements of it. Um, but I mean, yeah, I would say it's at least like, you know, four or five, six fully different versions of it basically before it got to, to Ben. Cause everybody thinks, Oh, you just sit down and you come up with an idea and you write it in three days and sell it. And it becomes a hit. And the reality is, yeah, you're an overnight success after seven years of developing the same project. Were you working on other projects as well? Or was this sort of your sole focus? This, this was the main focus. I mean, I, I wrote a couple of feature scripts in the, in the meantime, just on my own. Uh, that, that I, I still just like have. And, uh, <laughs> and then I've, uh, 
I, I, I worked uh, for a while at a, at a company called Super Deluxe, and I was doing um, I was doing development stuff with them, um, and and so getting getting kind of a view of that side of the of the work and that side of the industry, which was really cool. It was really, and it made it, it's it's so much easier to do to take generals to take general meetings when you've like been on the other side. Right, right. So you sort of have an idea of what they are. Yeah. Yeah. None of us know what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. I think in time, we all have some general meetings that are very memorable and usually for the wrong reason. Usually they're stories that you can dine out on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. True. Yeah, my favorite of mine is when I ripped my pants uh going oh, going into the uh meeting like right up the crack of my ass. <laughs> and so throughout the whole meeting I'm like skirting the wall and making sure I'm sitting down <laughs> so that I can't like a Mr. Bean sketch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nothing ever came of that for whatever reason. We never got a movie assignment as a result. Did they, of that. Did they catch you? I mean, I mean, what was it? Do you think they saw that you had ripped your pants or? No, I don't think they saw I ripped my pants. I think they said something weird about that guy. Yeah, this guy's that guy, that guy is, that guy is sort of on the spectrum somewhere. I don't like, know. Like, yeah. Had he, had they found out about the ripped pants, it probably would have been better. Probably, yeah. No, yeah. had I gone in and just said, "Hey, I ripped my pants," look, look uh, it was, probably would have broken the ice and everything. This particular executive wound up going to prison a few years later, but that's oh, you know, yeah, which I guess is worse than ripping your pants. I think so. I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, all things are are on a scale, but but uh, <laughs> I would pick ripping pants. Okay, so now Ben Stiller has it. And now this production company has it. And where does Nikki Weinstock figure in? Nikki Weinstock is yeah. an executive. And I had worked with him years ago on Fox. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, writers will talk about how much they hate suits. But every so often, one will come along who is really smart and really gracious and really honest. Mm-hmm. And that was that was Nicky Hornstock. And I've stayed friends with him all of these years since because, you know, I think he's a really good guy. So how, Nikki, how does he fit in? Yeah, no, Nicky is terrific. He's a he's a terrific guy. He's incredibly nice. And he's, like you said, very smart and very good at his job. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was there basically from the beginning as well. Like I said, Jackie sort of brought, I think she was the first one to read it and brought the script in. But then after that, it was, you know, um, for a long time, at the time, Ben was still doing a lot of work on Danamora. So like for the first part of the process, he would, he would certainly uh, come in and, and participate as much as he could. But a lot of time in those, in those first months, it was me and Nikki and Jackie. And, um, you know, we were, we were going through, creating like a pitch document where it's like, okay, we're going to have to sell this to a distributor. And so, you know, I, I remember Nikki would give, you know, great advice about like, it's like, okay, we like, what is sort of the level of groundedness of this and, and how much is too much and how do we indicate that in the pitch and uh, just had, had really great instincts and insight on all that stuff. 
Um, and, you know, together in, in that, th- this was even before the writer's room, and we crafted kind of a very rough map of what the season might look like, just, you know, to the degree that we could say in a pitch. And so, so Nikki uh, and Jackie, you know, in a lot of ways, like that was the first version of writing the story was, was the three of us. And then, and then Ben, uh, when he could just sort of sitting and talking broad strokes about like, okay, what are the, what are the most interesting arcs for each of these characters? So, you know, it was, what what year was this? Yeah. This was like 45 years ago, I think at this point. Um, No, this was, this would have been, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was like six years ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it started in 2006 and now you're at sort of mm, 2000 and I can't, I can't do the math, 14, 15, something like that. I I don't know what year it is right now. So. (laughs) (laughs) More with Dan Erickson in a moment, but right now a word from my new sponsor, Caliper, Caliper CBD. And this is this is really good stuff. It is not going to get you high, but it is going to help take the edge off a little bit and and just kind of help you chill a little bit. It also comes in two very interesting forms. Flavorless, you just pour a packet into water. It dissolves. You drink. It's like Alka-Seltzer. And uh, the other, which is my personal favorite, is Caliper CBD Powder Packets that are flavored. My personal favorite is mixed berry. And you just put it on your tongue. It is the world's greatest pixie stick. And like I say, it just kind of mellows you out. And boy, don't we need that now? How can you possibly watch CNN without using Caliper CBD? It really is terrific stuff. Like I said, you don't get high. There's no guesswork because every packet is pre-measured. And I want you to try it, okay? You can get Caliper CPD with 20% off of your first order with the promo code HOLLYWOOD. And here is the website. Write this down. Trycaliper.com backslash Hollywood. Try it risk-free for 30 days, and if you don't love it, hey, they'll give you a full refund, but you are going to love it. So that's trycaliper.com slash Hollywood. And again, don't forget the promo code Hollywood for 20% off your first order. Trust me, you cannot watch CNN without this. Okay, are you getting paid for this, or is this still gratis work that you're doing? It was gratis. It was very gratis for for the first part, anyway. And this and this is just just kind of the way that that it works. Um, and I will say, I mean, I have to say, I think that that um, this is something that can be a challenge for for first time writers. Is it you know way, and it's through no fault of any party in this case, but just sort of the way that that the system is built, like. Sometimes you're for the first stretch. If you're lucky enough to get something developed like this, you're just doing it for free because um, you guys are working on it together. It's a collaboration uh, up until sort of the you know official deals get signed and everything. So it was, yeah, I was um, 
you know, when it started, I think I was working for uh, Super Deluxe and then uh, ended up parting ways with them and was just literally driving for Postmates for a while. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I like the, the night that we sold this to Apple, I remember was, was a crazy night because we like, we went and we pitched it and it was down by like, um, Oh, it was down near like Culver city, I think is Mm -hmm. the place we went. And, and going back, I realized I was like, Oh, I don't have enough gas. I was driving a scooter at the time. I was like, I don't have enough gas to get home. Uh, and I don't have any money in my account. So the, the kind of, I was like, okay, how, how do I play this? And sometimes depending on the timing, if you drive for Postmates, you can, you can theoretically at the time anyway, could get paid that night. Like if you drive around a bit and then, and then, you know, it can get deposited that night. And so I was able to do that. So it was like, I didn't have enough gas to get home, but I had enough to drive around Postmates for a while and eventually was able to cobble en- <laughs> enough money to get, to get <laughs> gas and then get home. Um, so that was the night, literally the night we had pitched to, to Apple. Um, so it's, you know, <laughs> sometimes it, 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 it was, it's simultaneously been a very slow process and at times an incredibly fast process where suddenly it's like, okay, this is, I'm going from one state to another state very quickly. How long from the time you pitched it to the time you heard back from Apple? Pretty quickly, as I recall. I, I, I remember it was, I think it was not long. Um, like, uh, I want to say it was like a week or so that it took them. And then they came back and they were like, okay, yeah, we're interested in that. And then, you know, it took a long time to get the deal, the various sure. deals made mm-hmm. and everything. But, but yeah, they, they indicated they were into it pretty quickly. Did they order just a pilot or did they order it to series? Did they say it's cast contingent? It was, I'm trying to remember now how the details went. It was, um, it was never, they were never just going to produce a pilot. They were all, it was, um, first they, they basically put together a mini room, uh, where we, we broke the story, uh, you know, a mini writer's room where we broke the story. And then that expanded into a full room. And I think it was, I, I, I remember it was kind of a blinking green light for a while where they were like, yeah, we're, we're moving ahead as though we're producing the season, but it wasn't until, I mean, we had been writing it a while when, when we finally got word that like, okay, yeah, this is happening. We're producing. Um, it was never cast contingent. I don't think, um, we had this, like Ben and I had had this idea of Adam Scott for the lead, uh, for a long time. Like we had talked about that very early in the process, but that, that was our idea. Um, Kind of amazing to have some prototype and then actually get him. Yeah, no, literally, because I had I had said like when I talked about it with people, I was like, yeah, it's like an Adam Scott type, uh, and then you know, all of a sudden Ben is like, well, let's just get Adam Scott, um, and and they had worked together before and worked really well together on Walter Mitty, so yeah, that was that was definitely some someone we we wanted. You did a great job of casting it. Patricia Arquette is great. Uh, the redhead yep. girl, I don't remember Red her name. Okay, yeah. she's yeah. terrific. You got Christopher Walken. You've written for Christopher Walken, buddy. I sure have. That's that's, <laughs> and that's a trip. That's a trip. Sitting there like that first day and hearing it's it's one thing to meet with him 
and be like, oh, guy, like he's he's doing the voice. Like it's it's just Christopher <laughs> Walken, you know. He's just sitting there being himself. Uh, but then to hear your words coming out of his mouth, that's that was one of the more surreal of many, many surreal moments uh, of that process. Because, yeah, it's just, I mean, he's the most, he's one of the most iconic people alive. And, and uh, you know, somebody that I've like known my whole life uh, of him. And so it was, it was, that was nuts. It was really cool. Okay, so you get the green light and you're going to produce how many ever episodes that uh, they gave that original order. So now are you going, oh, my God, this is fantastic, or, oh, shit, now what? Because <laughs> you'd uh, never run a show before. Yeah. No, it's it's been um, it's been a really even mix of those things. Because, yeah, like, I do feel... I immediately felt like I had been plopped into some kind of like, you know, screwball comedy where like a, a horrible mistake is made. And this <laughs> just like regular guy is, is like running a big Hollywood show. Um, and, and it was often really fun, often really just like surreal and fun. And then often like legitimately terrifying where it's like the anxiety is so bad that you're not, you're not having fun. Like I was, uh, <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we would go into these meetings and stuff and it's all these people who have been working for decades. And Ben is so good about getting the best of the best people, you know, in all of these departments. And then and, and literally, like, I'm just like sitting there, like trying not to speak out of turn, even though I'm kind of supposed to be running things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was there was a lot of like anxiety and 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 fear that went along with that. But I will say, like, everyone was very, uh, no one ever, I, I quickly became aware that I was around friends, like, once we were really into the process, and, and everybody made it a lot easier than I think it could have been. Did you have any veteran writers uh, to help you along? It's kind of like in baseball, where a young manager will have Don Zimmer yeah. <laughs> as his bench coach, just yeah. a veteran. Did you have a couple of those guys basically go, mm, uh, you, you got to get the outline out by today. Uh, <laughs> you know, you got you to turn this script around here pretty soon <laughs> or we're going to get buried. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, there, there were, I, I, I think that my lack of experience is something that, that Apple was aware of and I was aware of. And, and, and so we were, I was fortunately paired with, with there, there were some in the room who were newbies like me, and then there were others who were, uh, who were much more seasoned. But like um, Chris Black was running the room with me, and he's this really great um, writer, producer, awesome guy. Um, who really sort of helped craft the tone and 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 also just literally like the nuts of and bolts of writing a TV show. He knew all this stuff through experience that I had no idea about. So yeah, and and um, uh, Andrew Coville uh, was in the room, very experienced, very great guy. Um, Carrie Drake, Amanda Overton, uh, uh, Anna Oyang Munch. Um, um, I'm, I'm forgetting somebody. Um, Helen Lay was our uh, uh, was in the room with us, and uh, yeah, it was a great it was a great team. Okay, so you come up with this idea like way back in two thousand and six. Yeah, what is the first day of shooting like for you? 
when it's like, oh, my God, they built these sets. <laughs> Here's Adam Scott. He's saying my word. They're actually making this. Oh, my God. What was that first day like? Really crazy. Really, really crazy. It was also the day after the election, like the November election. Um, oh. <laughs> there was like that on top of all of it is like everybody's checking their phones for like, oh, nope, New Hampshire's still not in. But um, so it was it was a weird, surreal day already. But but yeah, it was I remember it was the it's a shot of Adam and he's in his house and he's he's waking up in the morning after a night of drinking. And that was the first shot we actually did. Like we shot pretty wildly out of order for various reasons, uh, mostly COVID related. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was the, you know, that I, and I was, I was like sitting there a lot of times I'd be like backstage in video village somewhere. But uh, for that first one, I was like sitting there and, and, you know, just watching it happen and hearing Ben, you know, call action and, I mean, yeah, there's nothing like that. There's nothing. It, it, it was, it was like, it, it was a numb feeling in a lot of ways. Like it was very exciting, but also it's just like, this isn't real. This isn't happening. Were you able to stay the entire day or did you have your postmate shift that you had to <laughs> five o'clock? No, they don't. I don't think they would want me back at postmates. I was not a good driver. I think they were, <laughs> I, I, I think that they were happy to see me uh, go on to other things. You know, it's an interesting show. Let's talk a little bit about the concept, which, as I mentioned in the introduction, the idea that you can sort of separate your brain so that there is the work side that knows nothing about your personal life and the other side, which is your personal life and knows nothing about work. And you're right, to a certain extent, you know, there's a lot of people who just have a lot of baggage and would love to just put it away for eight hours. And likewise, there are people, as you know, like, like a writer, you go home, but you can never just put it out of your mind. Right. You're always still working on that scene and you're, you're always going, "Ah, should I go to the movies tonight? Or I really should do that one extra scene. So to be able to compartmentalize like that um, seems to be, sort of a, an interesting idea. And I guess you kind of hit it right at the zeitgeist, you know, with uh, the, you know, pandemic slowly coming to an end and people finally going back to work. Um, you know, I, I don't think it could be more timely. Yeah. No, we, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't want to say we lucked out, but we, uh, you, you know, the, the timing of it was, uh, it, it was sort of fortuitous in, in how it became the, the relevance of the show really changed. And I, I was worried that the relevance of it would go away. Um, because, you know, we were, we were shooting during the pandemic. It was clear that like, okay, a lot of jobs are, are probably going to stay remote, like not all of them, but a lot. And so it was like, are, is anybody going to care about an office show anymore? And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it, it, what we were surprised by was that it did hit on this, j- just this weird crisis that we as a, as a planet are kind of going through where it's like, we're just rethinking what it means to work and, 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 uh, you know, what it means to, to be at work. And especially if, if your work is 10 feet away from where you sleep, like, how does that affect you psychologically? And can you really separate yourself 
from you know the role that you play in a company into somebody's bottom line. And so weirdly, like we didn't really change anything in uh, with uh, with COVID in mind or or with the pandemic pandemic in mind, especially because we were so uncertain as we were making it, like what kind of world we'd be releasing this into. Mm-hmm. Like, like we talked about, like, should the, should the characters wear masks it, when they're at a restaurant? Like, is it gonna, and I think a lot of people making shows around that time were asking that question, like, is it going to look weird for people not to wear masks on TV by the time we release this? And I think sometimes it does. Um, but at the same time, I think people don't really want to see that. They want to sort of escape that via the, the, the show. But yeah, so we didn't really change much of anything, but, but we sort of, happened into this new relevance that that uh was related to to the the themes that we had talked about but but was sort of manifesting in this different world you also get the sense too that people over the course of this pandemic have really started to you know kind of reflect upon their lives and work and what work means to them and I think a lot of people who were basically just existing as worker drones are starting to go, man, is there another way? I mean, you know, am I going to go back and do this for the rest of my life? And uh, those themes really do resonate in your show. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you do have people questioning on this sort of existential level, this system that we all kind of used to take for granted. And I feel like everything, you know, like so many things that, uh, you, you know, like there's like the WeWork documentaries about that whole system and 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 um, people are looking for new ways, like people are looking for new ways to kind of uh, solve this, this question of how do you, how do you exist, but also, you know, live and be it and be a human. Um, and it's brought us down some pretty scary paths already. So now, were you influenced a little bit by 1984? Because I'm getting a lot of 1984 vibes from this. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, that's you know that that's the one you always go back to when you look at at this sort of you know uh, uh, big industrial uh, uh, you know dystopian thing. So yeah, that was a lot of the language and sort of the the language that would be funny if it weren't terrifying and mm-hmm. and kind of accurate, you know, the 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 way that the company phrases things and everything. That's very there's a lot of Orwell in in that for sure. It's also interesting unless I missed something, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what they do. <laughs> what yeah. exactly they do and uh and in the show, there's some speculation and the John Turturro character. And by the way, that guy is just fantastic. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) But he suspects that their job is removing swear words from movies. Right. (laughs) Which I laughed out loud at, (laughs) at that, you know, to think that, that they would go through, all of this to put chips in people's heads and everything else. And that was, you know, yeah. that's you, kind you, of a sirens of the Titans, the Kurt Vonnegut kind of right, right, <laughs> direction. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, 
it reflects some jobs that I have had where it, where it was like, and especially with temp jobs, which I did a lot of too, there would be like data entry and stuff. And I'm literally just like putting num- numbers from one spreadsheet into another spreadsheet, no idea what the context of it is. And, and, you know, ho- hoping that I'm not enabling some kind of genocide or something, you know, through, through this work that I'm doing. Uh, so yeah, no, you never, you never really know. There's this sense that, they they're they respond to the numbers uh emotionally where it's like after a while you start to sort of see feelings in the numbers where like yeah those numbers are scary so they they go in this bin over here but we wanted something that was like so that really could have been almost an, anything like could have been taking swear words out of movies although i don't know why they wouldn't just put a, a bleep in over the square word. That's <laughs> Icebox logic. Icebox logic. All right. Yeah. If you do a second season, I want you to do me a favor. There's mm-hmm. a scene I want to see. Okay. I want to see the company picnic. <laughs> we've talked about, we, I, I, I don't want to say too much, but we have talked about something like that. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> I want to see the company picnic. It's on Apple. You can screen it. And and you're letting episodes go like one a week kind of thing. It was you didn't just drop two. the whole thing. Why did why did you decide that, or is that just an Apple decision? It's an Apple decision, but it was how I hoped it would go. Um, just because, I mean, you call me a, a, a romantic, but like I love this this kind of lost idea of appointment television, and and that. You know, you can sort of experience something. I, I mean, certainly a lot of people will find the show, hopefully after it's all aired and they'll binge it. And that's great. But like this this brief magical period where, you know, you'll be watching, you know, for me, it was like Game of Thrones or Mad Men or something. And it was like, it's the, the old cooler thing where you, you just, you get as a as a culture to kind of all experience it together. And there's something so beautiful about that that I think you lose of if it's it's all binged. So I was it, it was an app thing. That's how they do it. But I was I was into it. Fantastic! Congratulations. Uh, there's so many writers who are out there doing their spec scripts, and uh, I know they get discouraged, and time goes by, and they're doing draft after draft. It can happen. Yeah. And look at the results. It's all patience. Yeah. You just got to keep doing it. Dan, thanks very much. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You will forget that you had this interview with me. Yeah. By the way, when you go home, you will have no recollection of this interview. Exactly. Exactly. As soon as I'm out of here, this, so I'll, I'll enjoy listening to this. Exactly. Yeah. You you sound pretty good, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, get back to that screenplay. The next big discovery could be you. Our thanks to Dan Erickson, and that'll do it for this week on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. You know my email address by now, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Also available on Twitter, at Ken Levine, Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I showcase some of my cartoons. And speaking of cartoons, next week, David Cypress, who is a very esteemed 
New Yorker cartoonist, will be my guest. And as opposed to Dan Erickson, who is this sort of overnight uh, sensation, well, Cyprus was rejected for 25 years before he finally sold to the New Yorker. And now... He's like one of their stars. So, you know, sometimes it uh, takes a while. We'll hear that side of the story next week. So, again, thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you in a week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the Fine.